And let's pray. Heavenly Father, we bow in your presence. May your word be our rule, your spirit our teacher, and your greater glory our supreme concern. All this we ask in the wonderful name of Jesus our Lord. Amen. I get to do this too. Well, for the last couple of Sundays, we've been reading from John chapter 20, the beloved disciples' dramatic account of Jesus' resurrection. We've stood with Mary Magdalene while she wept outside the empty tomb, and as she mistook the risen Jesus for a gardener. And we've been with the disciples in the upper room as they listened to Thomas declare, unless I see the nail marks in his hands, and put my fingers where the nails were, I will not believe. Of course, these are not the only incidents that the Gospels recount of those miraculous events of that first Easter. My personal favorite has to be one of the ones that Luke tells us, and perhaps you remember it, that one of the two disciples as they were making their way towards Emmaus, when they were joined by a shadowy figure along the road. It was only as he broke bread with them in their home that they recognized that they had been with Jesus. No doubt there were numerous other encounters between the risen Christ and his followers, encounters, sadly, that have been lost to us. And John says as much in the final verses of chapter 20. Here's what he wrote. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. Now, it would almost seem that at this point, John had reached the conclusion of his book. He puts down his pen, but then he pauses. Hey, hey, wait a minute. There's one more story that I simply have to tell. And here's how it happened. And the scene this time is by the Sea of Galilee. It's early in the morning, and the mist is slowly rising from the tranquil surface of the lake. Seven of them had decided to go fishing, and so they had pushed out the night before and let down their nets. Well, I remember years ago when Karen and I were cottaging with our children in St. Margaret's Bay. I thought I should give my children the experience of fishing. I had memories of going out in a rowboat to fish with my dad and brothers and rarely catching anything. And so if nothing else, I thought to myself, this might teach my kids some patience. Well, we were barely minutes out on the bay when the water around us was teeming with fish. I'm talking hundreds of fish. And it seemed as though they were begging to be caught, practically jumping into our boat. What we didn't realize was that we had rowed right into the middle of a school of mackerel. 
and it didn't take us long to haul in enough to feed our family of five. Well, so much for a lesson on patience. <laughs> well, sadly, that was not the experience of Peter and his companions. They'd fished all night and didn't have anything to show for it. But I'm not altogether sure that that mattered. Because my suspicion is that they had gone back to Galilee and back to their fishing boats, not because they needed cash, but no, they'd gone back because that was the place that was familiar. It was somewhere that they could be quiet, somewhere that perhaps they might at least be able to begin to process that whirlwind events that they had been caught up in over the previous few weeks. Just try to imagine for a moment what their lives had been like. They'd marched into Jerusalem to cheers of a triumphant crowd shouting, Hosanna, and waving their ponds of fronds. Sorry, fronds of palm. Days later, they'd looked on powerlessly as the one they had come to revere as the Messiah was arrested, savagely beaten, and nailed up to a cross to breathe out his last. And then only days after that, they were confronted with the amazing news that the one they thought was dead was alive. And soon they were seeing him for themselves with their very own eyes. Well, to say that they'd been on an emotional roller coaster would be an understatement, wouldn't it? So should it be any wonder that they yearned to get back to the lake, back to things where a place where things would be quiet, back to where life was predictable once again. And besides, hadn't Jesus instructed the women to tell them that they would see him in Galilee? Peter, Thomas, and the others just needed a break. And so it was only human that they should retreat to the comfort of what was familiar. And the wonderful thing was, who should meet them there but Jesus? Buddies, you don't have any fish, do you? Came a voice uh, through the mist from a figure on the shore. No, they replied. Then try casting your net on the right-hand side of your boat. Well, can't you imagine them thinking to themselves, what does this guy know? Oh, well, I suppose it can't do any harm. So with aching backs and arms from fishing all night, the disciples let down the net. And it seemed no sooner that had it sunk under the water than it was loaded with fish. And then it began to sink in. The strange familiarity that, about what was happening because if you've read the Gospels carefully, you remember that years before, three years before to be exact, at one of their first encounters with Jesus, that almost an identical scenario had unfolded. So now there was no question in their minds as to who this figure was that had been calling out to them. And hardly a split second was lost, for Peter was splashing through the water on his way to meet him. Some years ago, a friend of mine wrote a book which she entitled, God Meets Us Where We Are. Isn't that a wonderful name for a book? God Meets Us Where We Are. 
And it seems to me that that's the whole point of this incident in the last chapter of John's Gospel. Jesus comes to each one of us at our points of loneliness and sorrow, our times of fatigue and doubt. He doesn't wait for us to come to him. He is the good shepherd who seeks out his lost sheep until he finds them and brings them home. He is the one who graciously invites you and me. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Well, here we are, and right now, we're heading into, for what for many people, is the busiest time of the year. Three weeks ago, I was already hearing jingle bells in one of the stores, and it wasn't even Halloween yet. If you can do it, may I suggest that somehow, amid all the rush and bother of this season, you try to find the time to go to your own personal Sea of Galilee and let Jesus meet you there and nourish you as he did those first disciples. And even if it isn't for any more than a few minutes, I have no doubt that Jesus will not disappoint you. Well, of course, the story does not end there. After the last of the fish and the bread have been eaten, Jesus turns to Peter and he asks him, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Well, yes, Lord, Peter replies. You know that I love you. To which Jesus replies, feed my lambs. Then a second time, Jesus says to Peter, almost the same words, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And again, Peter answers, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus says, tend my sheep. Well, hardly have those words left Peter's mouth before Jesus asks for a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Well, John tells us that Peter was grieved, deeply hurt, when Jesus asked him that question for the third time around. In fact, I don't think it would be going too far to say that those words pierced into the depths of Peter's soul. Why do you think that was so? Because not that many days before, at Jesus' moment of greatest need, Peter had denied him, knowing him, three times. And Peter could not have missed Jesus' intent. And I can only imagine that it was with lips quivering and tears welling up in his eyes that Peter managed to blubber out the words for the third time. Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. To which Jesus says once again, Feed my lambs. Well, what an encouragement I find in that dialogue. I am embarrassed and ashamed when I think of the number of times I have failed Jesus since I first started to follow him. And perhaps you might have to say the same of yourself. Indeed, when it comes down to us, not one of us is equal to the task of serving God. 
Yet, isn't that a pattern that we see from the very beginning of Scripture? Think of it. Jacob was a deceiver. Moses was a stutterer. Ruth was a penniless widow. David was an adulterer. Jonah was a coward. And on and on the list goes. Yet God empowered and equipped each one of them to serve him in remarkable ways. And in his grace, Jesus still calls and trusts the likes of you and of me to serve him. Your name may never be in the headlines, but there will be people whose lives were made better because of having known you. You may never be aware of it. You may not remember what you said or what you did, and they may never tell you. But in the end, you will hear your master say to you, well done, good and faithful servant. Discipleship is an immeasurable privilege. But our passage this morning warns us that it comes with a cost. And in these closing verses of John's Gospel, Jesus warned that Peter, that that cost would be his own life. Tradition tells us that Peter's journey led him to Rome. In the year 64, that city was struck by a disastrous fire. The blaze ran unchecked for nearly 10 days, destroying 70% of the city. And the ruins were still smoldering when rumors began to spread that the Emperor Nero himself was somehow behind it. Well, anxious for a scapegoat, Nero, in turn, pointed an accusing finger at the Christians, who had been a small but increasing presence in Rome for a generation now. In a savage display of cruelty, believers were sentenced to be torn apart by wild animals. They were covered in pitch and burned alive as human torches to light the imperial gardens. And some were crucified. And among this last group was the Apostle Peter. And there's a further tradition, although it can't be proved historically, that claims that as he did not consider worthy of being put to death in the same manner as his Lord, Peter chose to be crucified upside down. Well, we can be grateful that uh, here in Canada, we live in a society we are, where we are free to worship as we choose and to live out our beliefs on a daily basis. But did you know that one in eight Christians in the world today live in countries where they may be persecuted for their faith? That's over 300 million believers. In the 12 months between October 2019 and September 2020, it's estimated that over 4,700 Christians were killed for their faith. Nearly 4,300 were unjustly arrested, detained, or imprisoned. And more than 1,700 were abducted for faith-related reasons. Well, I don't know about you, but I find those sobering statistics. But let them be an encouragement to you and to me 
to follow the counsel that Peter himself has left us, to honor Christ as Lord in our hearts, and always to be prepared to give a reason to anyone who asks us for the hope that is in us. As John concludes his gospel, he looks back over his times with Jesus and the years that have passed by since. And every bit as much as on that first resurrection morning, John remains wide-eyed with excitement and amazement. And you can hear it when you listen to his concluding words. Now there are also many other things that Jesus did. Were every one of them to be written, I suppose that the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. And isn't it equally amazing that nearly 2,000 years after the events, people are still talking about Jesus and books are still being written about him. And so as we close our Bibles, as we close the Gospel of John, at least for now, may we never lose that sense of awe and wonder in the presence of Jesus. The Word became become flesh who dwelt among us and who continues to dwell among us by his Spirit today, full of grace and truth. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, what a privilege it is to know you and even more to be known by you. That you are our good shepherd and that you want us to share your presence. And so I pray that uh, in this season leading up to Christmas, you would give help each one of us to take time to know you better to serve you more fully and never to cease to be amazed in your wondrous presence. We ask it for your name's sake. Amen.